Hello and welcome to Nudge. Now, one of the wonderful things about running this podcast is that I'm occasionally introduced to experts that are way outside the field of marketing. On the show, we've had Dr. Emma Bryan explain the science behind swearing, Dr. Adrian North highlight what happens in our brains when we listen to music, and Bruce Daisley talk through the workplace burnout epidemic. Even though these discussions aren't about marketing, they've always helped me learn something that I've applied to my job in marketing. And today's episode is similar. I'm delighted to have Ethan Cross join me on the show. Now, Ethan is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. He's an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan's top-rated psychology department, and he is director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory at the university. Earlier this year, Ethan released his first book called Chatter. Now a national bestseller in the States, Chatter explains the voice in our heads and how we deal with that voice. In today's episode, you might not discover an idea for your next marketing campaign, but you'll definitely learn more about yourself and how we all deal with stress. So to kick off, I asked Ethan to explain Chatter. Chatter is the name Ethan gives to the voice in our heads. Sometimes that voice is helpful, but often it's not. Here's Ethan explaining why. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. So when we experience problems, we tend to turn our attention inward to try to solve them. And oftentimes, though, we don't come up with solutions like when we're really struggling with things, rather than coming up with a clear way of proceeding in our heads, we end up spitting. We worry, we ruminate, we catastrophize. We get stuck experiencing negative thought loops, which is what I call chatter. So chatter about the past, we tend to call that rumination. Chatter about the future, that's worry. The idea is that you are engaging your mind to, to do something that is normally productive, to focus on a problem and solving it. But, but that's not working for you. And so you're getting stuck and said, um, and it can be a really debilitating problem. It, it, it can influence our ability to think well and perform well at work. 
It can create social friction in our relationships, so it can have relationship implications. And it can also damage our physical health by prolonging our stress responses. And what I mean by that is experiencing stress, although it's often called a killer, isn't in and of itself a bad thing. It's, it's healthy to be able to have a system that, that, that motivates us or allows us to respond very quickly to a threatening environment. What makes stress damaging is when our stress response goes up and then remains elevated over time. And chatter plays a role in that because we think about the argument we had with someone else or the rejection we experienced. And then we think about that again and again and again. So we don't leave it behind. And each time we're thinking about it, we're revving up that stress response and keeping it activated. So um, it is without exaggeration, a, I think one of the big problems that human beings face. And, and the good news is there are lots of science-based tools that exist to help us manage these internal conversations we have with ourselves that run awry. Managing these internal conversations is critical because so much of our life is spent inside our heads having conversations with ourselves. Studies cited in Ethan's book reveal that we spend between one third to one half of our waking life not living in the present, but instead in our heads. In fact, our verbal stream of thought is so fluent that according to one study, we internally talk to ourselves at a rate of speaking 4,000 words per minute out loud. To put that in perspective, the average American reader would need 13 minutes to read 4,000 words out loud. That's a lot of words, a lot of communicating. And it was slightly alarming for me to realise that most of my life has been spent really talking to myself. And yet I've got no idea if what I'm saying is helpful or not. Am I ruminating on the bad things too much? Am I worrying about the future more than others? It's something I've never really considered. But Ethan has. Here's him explaining how he experienced chatter during an especially difficult period of his life. So I think, I think chatter is an incredibly common experience that many of us or most of us or dare I say, nearly all of us suffer from at times when we get stuck. And even myself, a, a quote unquote expert at understanding how to tame these negative thought spirals can become victim to it too. And so in the book, I tell the story of one of the most extreme chatter episodes I ever had, which was uh, linked to a threat I received. So I had um, about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, my colleagues and I published a study that ended up getting a lot of attention and I ended up going on the evening news and it was a really exciting time for us. I was uh, just starting out as an assistant professor, was on TV for a whole of seven seconds, which, um, which was nonetheless very, very cool. Uh, anyway, fast forward a couple of days and there was a, a letter in my mailbox at work that was basically a threat. And it was not, it was a, it was a, not an insignificant threat. It was the kind of thing where I showed it to other people and they told me to go to the police station and I did. And I spoke spoke to a police officer and they didn't really give me very reassuring advice about how to deal with it. The, the main advice they gave was drive home a different way from work each day, just to be safe. And I had just, um, my wife and I had just had our first child and I, I really took, took this threat seriously and felt responsible. And so, you know, I was up pacing my house with a baseball bat for several nights making sure no one was coming to get us, protecting my family. And it was really a, a momentarily for a few days debilitating episode in the sense that all I could think about was this threat. And I couldn't really think rationally about 
what I should do or how I should behave, right? The likelihood of something happening, which was infinitesimally small, that escaped me. Instead, I just zeroed in on how, how potentially problematic this letter was for my life and my family's life. As a result, I couldn't, I couldn't do any work. I was talking about this endlessly with my wife uh, and I wasn't sleeping, uh, which we know is not good for us. So fortunately, I, I, I managed to get out of that after a couple of days and nothing like that has happened since. But I think it really, it highlights two things that, that story. First, it, it highlights the fact that this is incredibly common. Many of us experience chatter at times. But also, we, we know that we're much better at advising other people than we are taking that advice ourselves. And I think this example highlights that in my own life, right? I, can, I know the science behind how to control the voice, and it's easy for me to tell people about it, but it's less easy to implement it myself. Uh, but the, the good news is that we've developed tools that actually build on that insight to make it easier for us to take our own advice for how to manage chatter well. It's easy to empathize with Ethan's experience. We can all think of times when we've got so stressed over something that we've struggled to sleep, struggled to concentrate, and even accomplish basic tasks. When I was listening to Ethan, I couldn't help but think that so many of the issues I've struggled with in my life have been minuscule compared to his problem. I've gotten stressed over looming deadlines, not people threatening to break into my house. But research suggests that it's not the external threat that determines our stress, it's how we interpret it. A study published in 2010 found that inner experiences consistently dwarf outer ones when it comes to our mental state. In the test, participants were asked to do a number of tasks. Some tasks were designed to relax participants, like watching TV, and other tasks were more stressful activities, like manual labour turns out that what participants were thinking about turned out to be a better predictor of their happiness than the actual task they were doing. Essentially, watching TV won't make you happy unless you're in the right mental state. That's why going on holiday won't make you instantly feel better if you're struggling mentally. And it's why driving a different route to work didn't help Ethan with his chatter. So what did help him work through his problem? I asked Ethan. Many of us have stumbled on tools that work in our lives, and we're not even aware that we're using them. And that was the case for me that broke me out of this chatter funk. So at, when I was really thinking you know, irrational things, at one moment, I just stopped and I said to myself, Ethan, you're being ridiculous. And so if you actually think about what I just said there, it's, it's very, very odd, right? I stopped and I referred to myself using my own name like I was talking to someone else, and I gave myself instructions like I was giving someone else instructions. We call that distant self-talk. And what we've learned is that that can be a useful tool for helping people manage chatter. Uh, one of the things it does is it uses language to help us give ourselves advice like we would give advice to another person. Most of the time when we use names, we use names to think about and refer to other people. And so the idea here is when you use your name to think about yourself, that's a way of using language to almost automatically shift your perspective, right? So it's putting you into thinking about other people mode. And as I said before, it's much easier for us to coach other people on their problems than it is to coach ourselves. And so that's one thing that we know now that many people will do spontaneously. Lots of examples of this in popular culture. Countless people do this. Malala Yousafzai, youngest person with the Nobel Peace Prize when she was threatened by the Taliban, 
and trying to figure out what she should do. She, at one point when she was simulating, well, what would I do if the Taliban come? She then says, well, Malala, you would just take a shoe and hit him. So in this moment of stress, we tend to revert to the strategy as a tool. And we now know there's, there's science which shows, like experiments show when you have people, you instruct people to coach themselves through a problem using their name when under stress, it helps them perform better and feel better. So that's just one example of a tool that I think some people rely on without knowing it. Ethan's actually run his own experiments on distance self-talk to help determine how effective it is. In the study, he and his team asked participants to think about how they felt when viewing a disturbing photograph. The participants were split into two groups. One group was asked to use immersive language to explain how they felt, so language like, what am I feeling? What do I think? The other group was asked to use distant language, like what is Phil thinking or what is Ethan feeling? Ethan and his peers measured how the participants felt by placing them in an fMRI machine. The results showed that participants displayed much less emotional activity in the brain when they used distanced language. Using our own name is a quick way to snap the emotion out of your thoughts and to review the situation in a rational way, a very useful tool for all types of situations. Next time you're sitting in a traffic jam, stressed out that you won't be back in time for dinner, use distanced self-talk rather than ruminating over the problem. So that's distanced self-talk, but it's just one tool. Here's Ethan talking through a different way to deal with chatter. Another example, not related to my incident, but another thing that I think we often do without knowing it is, is organize our surroundings and clean. One of the things we know about chatter is that when people are, 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 are experiencing chatter, they often feel like their thoughts are controlling them. They don't, they don't have control. Their thoughts are disordered, right? And what we've learned is that many people, you can compensate for that experience by trying to create order in your surroundings. So lots of people, when they're under stress, they they tidy up, they organize. I did this when I was working on my book, and it was very odd for me because I tend not to be the most tidy guy, right? I'm usually kind of just very free. If you were to see my office right now, there are stacks of books and papers. I guess I'm not experiencing a whole lot of chatter at the moment. But when I was working on the book and I was struggling with de- deadlines or paragraphs that wouldn't come out the right way, I would, I clean my office. I go to the kitchen and scrub all the dishes and I never do that. And so that's another uh, example of how we stumble on these tools that help us and experiments show that when you're experiencing chatter, creating order around you can help us control the conversations we're having with ourselves from the outside in, so to speak. Sports fans might recognize this behavior not only in their own actions, but in the actions of the players they watch on screen. Many football players have a ritual as they enter the field of play. Some make the sign of the cross, others look to the sky. One player would take it even further. Daniel Sturridge, a former England international who played for Liverpool and Chelsea, would only enter and leave the pitch while walking backwards. As other players walked on normally, he'd turn around and enter the pitch with his back turned. It's a superstition, of course, but research suggests that rituals like this reduce stress and anxiety. In his book, Ethan talks about Rafa Nadal's pre-match tennis routine. He spends a few minutes neatly arranging his bag, water bottles, gels and extra rackets all into a precise position. 
it's worth googling and watching him do this. It's not subtle, it's done with real care and attention. Ethan's research helps us realise why. Organising our environment reduces our stress and makes us feel in control. Similar studies show that our external environment can alter our performance. For example, in 2019, researchers found that exposing people to natural sounds, such as rainfall and crickets chirping, these sounds actually improved performance on an attention task by a notable percent. So taking control of an environment can really, really help, but it's not the only tactic. So when we experience chatter, it tends to zoom us in on our problems. We focus really narrowly on the situation. And, and we lose the ability to think about the bigger picture, which often contextualizes our experience, puts it in context and perspective, which can often be really useful. So when I had that letter incident, like all I was thinking about was seeing that letter and, you know, the drawings and slurs it contained and, and thinking about what if the person came to get me. I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture that these things happen from time to time. They usually amount to nothing so forth and so on. And so what we find is often useful when people get sucked in and zoomed in in that way is to help them take a step back to distance from their problems. And there are lots of ways that people can do that gain distance to think about their experiences more objectively. We talked about one, which is distant self-talk, using your name to coach yourself through a problem. It's like you're talking about someone else. You can also do that visually So when people think about past experiences, they often have mental imagery about those events. So if I close my eyes, I could think about, I could see that scene right there when I received the letter, right? And and so most people, if I asked you to close your eyes and imagine vividly a negative past experience, a specific one, you'd have a mental image of it. That mental image though is not static, right? We have the, the ability to zoom in and out when we're looking at that image in our heads. And so you can step back in your in your in your imagination and float away, for example, rather than replaying a negative experience happening through your own eyes, which tends to bring back all the negative feelings. You could step back and see yourself in the event and then try to understand why is that person over there that I'm looking at? Why did he or she feel the way she or did? And and so that's another way of getting distance. The fly on the wall technique, imagining yourself as a fly on the wall, watching yourself rather than experiencing it in first person, this technique is backed by some pretty robust science. One study conducted by Ethan and his colleagues involved asking one group of participants to replay an upsetting memory in their minds through their own eyes. Ethan then asked the other group to do the same, only using the fly on the wall perspective instead. Then they asked the participants to talk through their feelings. The different type of language each group used was really striking. The immersers, the people who viewed the event from a first-person perspective, got trapped in their emotions and their descriptions were were negative and filled with hurt. Adrenaline-infused, pissed off, betrayed, is what one person wrote. Angry, victimised, hurt, shame, stepped on, shitted on, humiliated and abandoned is what another person wrote. Their attempts to go inside and work through their internal conversations just led to more negative feelings. The fly on the wall group, meanwhile, offered a contrasting narrative. Where the immersers got tangled in the emotional weeds, the distances went broad, which led them to feel better. In a different large-scale experiment, a group of scientists gave people a choice. Do nothing, 
and have a 10% chance of dying from cancer or undergo a novel treatment that has a 5% chance of killing you. Now, obviously, according to the, to the stats, the second option is, is better because the risk of death is 5% less. And yet, many people choose to do nothing rather than something when it comes to their health. A massive 40% of participants who asked this question chose the more life-threatening option. But when the same people were asked to make the decision for someone else, only 31% made the wrong choice. This technique clearly leads to better decision-making. Another thing you can do to get distance is if you're dealing with an acute stressor, you can try to, like, like COVID, the pandemic, try to think about how are you going to feel about this uh, nine months from now when we're all vaccinated, right? That's a way of getting what we call temporal distance, time distance. And that, that's another way of getting perspective, right? So if I transport myself into the future nine months from now, I think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on a beach sitting, sipping multiple pina coladas in my bathing suit and uh, my exercise routine has resumed. So I'm okay with what the bathing suit looks like. And, and what that does is it makes it clear to me that what I'm experiencing right now as awful as it is, it's temporary, right? It will eventually end. That gives me hope. We know that hope can be a powerful bomb for chatter. You could also travel back in time to broaden your perspective, right? And I do that too. I think about the pandemic of 1918, which was arguably much, much worse than what we're dealing with right now in terms of, of death counts, in terms of no Zoom, no takeout, right? Like pandemic stinks. It is awful. And, and the number of people who are dying is tremendous. And I mean tremendous in a bad way, but it could be worse. When I think about that pandemic of 19, I think about the fact that it could be worse. I also think about the fact that as bad as 1918 was, we got through that as well. We're all sitting right here right now. So that's another way of getting perspective and hope. Ethan's colleague, Ozlem, has found that temporal distancing helps people manage major stresses like the loss of a loved one, but also more minor stress like uh, looming work deadlines, for example. So next time you're under a lot of pressure at work, try to zoom out and think about the bigger picture. Remember how you've made it through previous stressful moments and come out the other side. And think forward. Imagine what it will be like in a week or so once that deadline has passed. Those exercises are proven to help. And so I've just described three tools. Distance self-talk, fly on the wall, temporal distancing. There are other kinds of distancing tactics. These are different nudges, if you will, for shifting our perspective relatively easily, I would argue. Um, yeah, they take, it takes some time to close your eyes and do the fly in the wall technique. Maybe that's more effortful than just using your name to coach yourself through a problem. But in the grand scheme of things, we're not talking about hours and hours of therapy or, or, you know, silent meditation on a mountaintop. Like these are things you can do on the fly. And I think they can, and the science suggests that they can make a difference. And, um, and especially when used in combinations, which is something I talk about a lot in the book, the idea, the importance of using combinations of these tools when you're struggling with chatter, I think they give us some hope for managing um, these aversive states. 
We spend an awful lot of time with our own thoughts. As I said at the start, almost one half of our waking life is spent not living in the present, but instead remembering events or imagining the future. Most of us commit a lot of time to improve our physical health, either through dieting or exercise, and yet it's our mental health that will determine how happy we are. Spending time to learn the science behind the voice in our head is, no pun intended, a no-brainer. If you want to take a look at Ethan's book and learn a bit more, I really suggest you do, then head to the show notes and click the link. I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. Unlike most self-help books, which are sort of littered with personal experiences without much substance, this book is packed with studies explaining the real science behind how we think. And if you're a fan of behaviour science in general and a fan of this show, you'll you'll just enjoy the book because it's similar, really packed with great examples. Now that is all we've got time for this week. As always, if you've enjoyed listening to the show, please consider leaving a review, sharing the show with your colleagues, or even signing up to my Science of Marketing course, the link to which is in the show notes. And if you have feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with me. You can contact me directly on the nudgepodcast.com website. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Nudge.